Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg. Today we're talking about what nonprofits and other organizations are doing for the community during the holiday season and all year round. We're not taking questions today because it's pre, a pre-recorded show for the Thanksgiving weekend, but we have three great guests we're talking with today. Julio Alonzo is with us in the studio. He's the executive director of Hoosier Hills Food Bank. The Reverend Forrest Gilmore is the executive director of Beacon Solutions for People in Poverty. And Emily Pike is the executive director of New Hope for Families. So thank you all for being here today. We're going to talk about uh, about this holiday season, but of course we'll talk about the needs year-round as well. So let me just go, I'll start with Emily. We'll go through and talk about you know what your organizations do. So Emily? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Bob, for having us here today. Uh, I'm the executive director of New Hope for Families, and New Hope serves families impacted by homelessness. Uh, We do that in two meaningful ways. The first is that we offer shelter to families as they self-define, and we help those families move through homelessness into lasting stability. The second way is that we offer early learning services to children impacted by homelessness in a mixed-income cohort, and that really serves two purposes. The first is that it allows parents to get back to work or get back to doing the things they need to do to achieve that stability. The second is it gives those kids the good start we know that all children deserve. Okay. Julio? Well, thanks again for having us, Bob. Um, Hoosier Hills Food Bank is actually a regional organization. Uh, we serve six counties in South Central Indiana, but are based here in, uh, in Bloomington and Monroe County. And what we do is collect and distribute uh, a little over five million pounds of food each year largely through a network of partner agencies. We have about 100 partner agencies in those six counties, mostly food pantries, but um, also organizations like Beacon and New Hope and Boys and Girls Club and uh, Kitchens. And uh, what we do is try to get those organizations as much food as, uh, as we can for their programs. And then we also have some direct service programs of our own. We have a senior food box program serving about 1,000 seniors each month and a mobile pantry program that serves multiple communities um, with directly providing food to individuals. Okay, and Forrest. Yeah, thanks. It's also sure. good to be here. And uh, um, uh, Beacon is a, an organization that works with people experiencing extreme poverty, especially hunger and homelessness. I think the front door of our services is the Shalom Center, um, which provides meals, day shelter, showers, laundry, um, mail, all kinds of basic supports like that to help people get on their, their feet. We also have our overnight shelter friends place, and we have a number of um, housing programs, including Rapid Rehousing and Crawford Homes. And so that's one of the things that I think uh, is particularly um, powerful about what we do is, is um, not only do we meet people in a state of emergency, but we take them all the way through and beyond um, getting back home. Mm-hmm. There are so many uh, social service agencies and nonprofits in our community that are are worthy. You three represent uh, three of the very best, I would say, and also you're really on the the front lines of the very basic needs. So you know we're happy to have all three of you here. We don't want people to think that you're the only three. Of course, you work with a lot of others, um, but it's great to have you. And I want to 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 kind of follow up by asking. Have we gotten through the most of the difficulty from the pandemic? How did the pandemic affect your the people that you serve and your agency and being able to do the, the work that you want to do? Emily? 
Yeah, you know, certainly the worst is is behind us. Uh, on the other hand, when we think about homelessness and housing insecurity, we often see that those effects are lagged. Um, we know that during the the height of the pandemic, evictions were stayed, for example. Um, <coughs> for quite some time now, uh, families have have been uh, evicted. Uh, if that was the case. Um, we also see that because of inflation and because of the changing economic landscape, uh, rental prices continue to go up. So we are seeing a thing that used to be pretty rare, uh, increasingly is common now, which is that families are not evicted from their home. Uh, they simply, uh, the rent is raised and they cannot afford it. Um, and they cannot find another place that they can afford before that first lease ends. Uh, and that is something that we used to see really occasionally. And now I would say at least a quarter of the families in our shelter are in that situation. So when that happens, they just have to leave? They just have to leave, right? I mean, if you can't sign the new lease to pay the, the full amount, or if your landlord stops accepting Section 8 or something like that, then then very quickly, you know, um, most people in our community are familiar with how difficult it can be to find a rental. Um, so if you have only, say, 30 days or, or 45 days to find a place, uh, you may well wind up in, in a situation where you are unfortunately homeless uh, through no fault of your own, right? So there wasn't a, even a, a missed payment or something like that, which would also be really understandable in these more difficult economic times. Mm -hmm. Okay. The pandemic, Julio? Well, um, Emily touched on it, but I guess I would say both the best and the worst of the pandemic are, are over with at this point. Um, thankfully, uh, we're, we, you know, we're not experiencing a lot of the the day-to-day the -day immediate stress that we did during the pandemic, uh, but um, numbers have still gone up significantly, at least in terms of people needing services. Uh, and unfortunately, the amount of support that we've saw during the pandemic, um, ironically, um, is gone. So um, we had some good things during the pandemic, moratoriums on evictions, increased SNAP benefits, Lots and lots of generosity for for nonprofits on the front line to be able to do what we needed to do. Um, all of that's gone uh, at this point, uh, along with the bad stuff. And uh, unfortunately, the the need for people isn't gone, and it's in fact gotten significantly worse recently with uh, with inflation. So, you know, for example, during the pandemic, for the first time in our history. Uh, we were able to say that 100% of our agencies said they were getting enough food from us because we had the money to buy it. Uh, now that number's down to about 58% of agencies. So um, we're, we're struggling to keep up with what's still a very high need. But most of the pandemic era stuff is behind us. A lot of agencies are still doing sort of no contact um, mass distributions, uh, and but many of them are, are working out of that. Right now, some of them are going back to that, uh, mainly because of the sheer volume, not necessarily the, the, the need for no contact with people, though. Can I follow up on that inflation question? And so Forrest can tackle that as well. I want to ask you, but Forrest can then go into inflation and the pandemic at the same time. But um, say more about what inflation has meant. I mean, does it mean that you're getting fewer donations and that you're getting more people who now need more help? Is it sort of this double whammy? It, it's definitely a double whammy. And um, as an example, we we actually did start to see numbers go down a bit um, toward the end of last year, toward the beginning of this year. And we were very hopeful that things were going to start to, to stabilize. Uh, but then come I don't know, around April or so, um, we, do, we do something called Fresh Friday distributions during the summer. We started it during the pandemic. Uh, this was our third year. It's direct distributions to people drive-through style at the food bank. Uh, we had planned, based on last year's number, to serve 400 households each time we did that this summer. Well, at the first one, 600 households showed up. At the second one, 800 households showed up. Uh, we, we were not prepared for that. And Currently, 70% of our agencies are reporting that their numbers are increasing. Uh, they're higher than last year, and they're still increasing. So gas prices, food prices have really, really hit people with low incomes uh, in a very significant way. And we are seeing 
pandemic level need in terms of food uh, food distribution. Okay, Forrest, on a turn to you, and you know how how did the pandemic affect Beacon, and and then you can sort of blend into inflation. Sure. Um, <laughs> We're well, ha- happy topics. We, we could, uh, <laughs> let's just blend. <laughs> we, uh, one of the things I'm most proud about about our community and, the, and, and um, is we didn't lose a single person experiencing homelessness to COVID during the pandemic. And that's uh, due to a lot of people putting a lot of effort and time and resources into um, securing people, creating safe spaces. Um, one of the things that I'm particularly proud of in terms of um, our role was running and managing the the isolation shelter um, during that period of time. Um, So for obvious reasons, now that we don't have that isolation shelter, things have changed quite a bit um, for us organizationally. Um, And our numbers are are down a bit, so I think, and um, which is good. Um, That's what we want. Um, And I think we're moving into you know, where the pandemic was so much about safety and keeping people alive, um, I think we're shifting back and getting back to the basics, which is the core um, mission of helping people get back back home and really trying to reset almost to where we were before. But um, inflation, it's interesting, and Emily alluded to this, and is that um, often homelessness has a two to three year lag off a recession. So, so it'll be very curious, and we saw that in 2008, 2009, so it'll be very curious to see what happens over time. Right now, we're seeing numbers more or less stable, um, and, uh, experience, and we've seen pretty much a stable homeless population going back to about 2015, um, but it'll be curious to see what happens over the next couple of years, but mm-hmm. Julio hit it well. It's Inflation's hitting everyone, including the staff of our organizations, who are often not paid as well as we would want them to be, and you know are struggling with um, just getting by and fording even fording rent locally. What are your numbers? What do they look like in terms of the number of people experiencing yeah. homelessness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we count. Um, so uh, we count as a community uh, something. We use something called the point in time count, which is an annual count every uh, late January. Um, where we try and count everyone in the community which is, who's experiencing homelessness, which is um, maybe harder than it sounds. It's a very difficult task to try and account for everyone as much as possible in that day. And so our last count was in 2022 in January, and we had 322. And that's a, that's a reflection of how many people experiencing homelessness are uh, homeless on that day. And, um, and we've seen going back to about 2015, 2016, we've seen that number... Uh, fluctuate between uh, the 320s and 340s, um, and we had one one unusual year in 2019 where it jumped up to 380. But for the rest of the time, it's been in that kind of 320 to 340 range, and a slight downturn at our last count um, in 2022. Mm-hmm. 2021, obviously, we saw a lot going on in 2021, in particular. The Seminary Park uh, challenge was a, was a very very public issue and and very um, People who are street homeless were very present to the community. People were very aware of them. And um, the good news is it, it does appear that street homelessness is declining and has declined since that peak in, back in 2021. But just because people don't see people see street homelessness doesn't mean that the issue is gone, right? Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's interesting because 2021 was a very high crisis year, a very visible year that people were paying a lot of attention to homelessness. And I see that attention being declining. Julia talked about that a bit as, as the crisis of the pandemic fades, people maybe lose the sense of crisis around these issues and focus on other things. And that certainly impacts us organizationally. But but also, um, you know, um, we're seeing a lot more crackdown on camps. Um, and so, and what's happening is people are, are um, you know, struggling t- to find a place to stay at, at all at night. And, and that's, uh, that's uh, been growing as a problem. That's been growing for quite a while, but where people get pushed more and more out to the edges of the, of the city and, and into the county even. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. It's uh, the day after Thanksgiving, and we are pre-recorded, so you can't call us today. But if you would have been able to call, you would have been able to talk to Emily Pike, um, 
from New Hope for Families and Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and uh, the Reverend Forrest Gilmore from Solution, uh, Beacon Solutions for People in Poverty. Uh, it's gonna t- it's gonna take me time to get used to the Beacon name after Shalom <laughs> for all those years. I'm sorry. I know, not a problem. <laughs> yep. Emily, I wanted to ask about uh, one of the things that that you've talked about that um, is how New Hope is passionate about disrupting the cycle mm-hmm. of poverty, and I think that's that's one of those. Um, points that people don't think about a lot is this cycle of poverty. People, it's just hard to escape it. If you're brought up in it, it's hard to escape it. So how do you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, people often don't think about families when they think about homelessness because they're not visible in the park. Uh, But we know is that on any given night, 30 to 40 percent of people impacted by homelessness in our communities are families with children. And so when we think about what that cycle looks like, I often sort of remind people about, um, you know, if you can think of a time when you had a financial crisis, maybe in particular if you were a young adult, I think many of us can remember a time like that, right? Um, I remember a time when I was a young adult and I needed new tires for my car and I did not have enough money to purchase those tires, right? They were like $500 or something and that might as well have been $50,000 for 25-year-old me. And uh, and thankfully, you know, my parents lent me the money and I bought the tires and I went to work and I continued to do all of my things. Um, we had a family last year at New Hope who couldn't afford new tires for their car and so lost their job. And because they lost their job, they then lost their apartment. And then they ended up at New Hope. Um, And those are the kinds of things that we see a lot of. You know, if something happened, Bob, to you or to me, I don't know what your what your situation is like, but I assume you got a friend you could stay with for a while if you needed to, or a family member. And I know that I'm fortunate too. What we know is that people who live in poverty generationally often do not have someone who could lend them $500 in an emergency. They do not have someone who could allow them to stay with them because they have these wonderful and supportive networks just like us, but those networks don't have any resources. So their mom, is living in a Section 8 apartment or living in public housing. And if they go and stay with her, not only are they endangering her lease, right? So then two families are likely to become homeless because they're going to cause her to become evicted. And so when we think about what that generational poverty looks like, a lot of time it is simply the, the people that you can be connected to. And so one of the things we try to do is to help people be in a situation where they could make new networks. Uh, And one of the things we know is is crucially important is for children to have access to high-quality education. Uh, And that is something we know that low-income children have far less access to early childhood care and education. That the uh, that the services that they do have access to are often less effective long term, um, and these, of course, are the kids who most need a strong intervention. Uh, and so, helping families get those kids ready for school on the first day is really, really important. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about politicians call affordable housing mm. because affordable housing is not necessarily. Um, housing that anybody can afford, mm-hmm. right? So these levels, you know, what, and I think we've had this conversation here before too, for us. It's like people that are at the, you know, they're at the very lowest. It's not, you know, whatever percentage of poverty level you're at, it's people that have much, much less than that that don't have places to live. So. Are there solutions? I know the the housing first solution that you've been successful with, but what are some ways that you think we we need to be addressing this that we're not the the issue of getting people into places to live? Yeah, it's a fascinating and challenging question. <laughs> yeah, and well, and, I, uh, I'm glad you understood it because it yeah. took me a while to get yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that. Um, there was a study uh, uh, some years ago that um, looked at housing availability in our community and in, in our region and, and uh, looked at rental price points and need versus availability. And one of the things that they found that I found I thought was fascinating is they found that uh, and this was this is a little dated so the numbers are a little behind the times now, but um, 
but that basically in the 400 to 800 rental range, we had more housing uh, than we needed in terms of what people could afford. But um, but we had very little in the zero to 400 range, which is more the extreme poverty category uh, of, of folks. And so what you have is people who really should be in a zero to 400 rental range renting up uh, um, to be in that 400 to 800 range, spending way more money of their income on housing than they can afford, and um, and then getting into really how strong you know housing, getting unstable in their housing, and so they lose it, um, or they have to make trade-offs with other things, um, or 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 um, you know they become homeless or they seek out resources from the community. And so one of the things that's important to remember is that most affordable housing, when it starts out in our community, is in that 400 to 800 range. <laughs> and so we're building things that are already too expensive um, for, for people who, who need them. And, that, and that's really challenging. So the only interaction, the only kind of intervention that, um, that gets into that 0-400 range is, is, is is community subsidies, is, fi- is financial subsidies, financial support for people who just don't have enough income. And I'm always startled by the fact that housing choice vouchers, Section 8, what uh, Emily referred to, that there are about, of, of the people that qualify for that because of their income, only only one in five can actually get one because there's, there's just not enough. So 80% of the people experiencing an income level at a, at a level that they should qualify for a housing choice voucher so they can afford that, uh, they can get into that zero to 400 price range for them um, is, uh, is not available for four out of five. And that's, that's, that's how we deal with this. The, I hate to say this, a lot of people love the market. The market's never gonna deal, be able to handle that zero to 400 price range. Mm-hmm. Emily, what, what's the answer for the zero to 400 price range? Yeah, you know, I think Forrest is exactly right. There are some really interesting studies about what makes people successful long-term. And what we know is that people exiting homelessness, um, and in particular families exiting homelessness, but this is true for everyone, um, they are much more successful with a subsidy. And on average, people tend to use that subsidy for seven or eight years. Um, Now, that subsidy could look like public housing or it could look like a housing choice voucher. But what we know is that a short-term subsidy, most of the time, won't do the trick um, because our market is just too tight. Uh, and that's something that, that we've all seen. You know, we talked about that 400 to $800 level. I'd be very interested to know what that is in today's dollars. Right. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me to learn that that's 650 to $1,000 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just understanding that long-term subsidies are really the only solution that we know is likely to work long-term. Now, the great news is, over time, people on those subsidies use them less and less, and eventually they grow out of them, and that's exactly how those programs are designed. There's not a time limit on them, um, but people do, once they're stable, they're able to do more. They're able to, to provide more for their families, for themselves, and to, and to grow out of that subsidy, which is exactly what we want for families and for households. And that gets back to the idea of disrupting the cycle of poverty. That's exactly right, because you can't do that if you're unstable. If you don't know where you're going to sleep tomorrow, you can't do anything to disrupt anything. Julie, I want to ask you about, you know, that those are issues of housing, putting a roof over somebody's head, get, having a, place to, a warm place to sleep. But there are also all sorts of effects for people who don't have enough to eat that are, yes. Absolutely. you know, that, that have to do with whether they can be, you know, their their education, their ability to actually learn, their ability to keep a job, all those kinds of things. So could you just sort of talk about the issue of food insecurity and how it sort of has tendrils that creep out into more life than just, I'm hungry? Yeah. Sure, well, uh, that's that's exactly right, and it's it's a, a similar situation. You, you uh, if you don't have the food that you need, uh, the nutritious food that you need, you don't think as well. You don't, <laughs> you don't have the strength to uh, to perform as well. Whether it's looking for a job, holding down a job, um, going to school and and learning, um, trying to keep yourself healthy, um, it's clear from a lot of studies that there are direct impacts between health and hunger. 
And if people are making choices between having enough to eat on a regular basis or having a, a, a place to live on a regular basis um, or getting the health care they need or, or child care or various other things, um, quite often food is, is the one that's left off the table, um, actually, because it's, it's one of the easier ones to try and do without if you, you know, you've got to pay the rent, but um, you, you can um, skimp on the food bill that week if you, um, if you need to. So um, it, it really does have long-lasting impacts for, um, uh, for these families and for these people. And the other thing we also know is that it hits the most vulnerable in the worst way at both ends of the spectrum. Uh, children uh, and, and um, you know, children under five in particular need access to nutritious food in order to develop um, properly. Senior citizens who are already on fixed incomes, who already may have um, serious health issues, need the, the type of nutritious quality food that they need for their particular diets in order to, to remain strong, in order to remain healthy. So without regular access to the nutritious food that, that, uh, that they need, people experience significant difficulties. Well, I know that, uh, again, we've talked many times before, and I know that one of the things that you've helped get moving is you do have more nutritious food that's available to all the clients that, that you work with now. How, how are you able to accomplish that, and how close are you to having what you need? I mean, to be, to be honest, it all comes down to the level of support that we, that we have. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line, to be able to do what we need to do. Uh, we have p- placed a major emphasis on fresh produce for the last mm, six or seven years because that's one of the best ways that we can get healthy, quality food um, out to folks. It's, it's more easily, more easy for us to access that. Uh, it's a little bit cheaper in some cases than trying to get canned goods or box goods or, or, or the shelf-stable things. Um, but it's also much more challenging. It, uh, we fortunately got a grant from Feeding America to just um, install our third uh, cooler, a third walk-in cooler um, last month. And having the second cooler that we added a few years ago with a grant from the Community Foundation um, significantly increased our ability to accept and, and move fresh produce. Um, it, it all depends on what might be happening at that particular time, whether we can take advantage of an offer that we have for significant amounts uh, of produce. But uh, anyway, um, about 26% of our food last year was fresh produce, and that's a goal that we have to make it at least 25% of the total food that we distribute, distribute. But we're also trying to look for more alternatives as well, um, no salt or low salt options for, for seniors and, um, and uh, people who have uh, issues with diabetes and, and other things, uh, gluten-free options for, um, for those who need them, um, items specific to what agencies need for backpack programs or childcare programs, um, trying to get in all those sorts of things, which unfortunately, do not come through donations for the most part. Um, the, the things we get from donations, which is how we were founded, are largely the cast-offs <laughs> that, um, that didn't sell well. You know, we're going to have tons of uh, pumpkin spice Oreos next week, I can, I can bet you, <laughs> and, and stuff like that, um, which, you know, we're, we're grateful for, um, which families like to get. Um, but, uh, you know, we need canned goods. We need cereal. We need pasta. We need, and... Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff, the only way we're able to get it, particularly those specialty items, is by buying it. And we need the, the funds in order to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to give our uh, listeners information about what we're doing today. We're talking with uh, Forrest Gilmore from um, Beacon, and we're talking to Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, and we have Emily Pike from New Hope for Families. We are pre-recorded today for the day after Thanksgiving, so you can't call us, but uh, you can continue to listen to the show now, and we'll be, if you missed the first half of the show, we'll be archived. You can go back and listen to what was said uh, earlier in this half, in this hour, um, later on. So um, I want to turn to the holiday season a little bit. You know, we do this show around the holiday season. I know... There, that's when you know. That's when the media gets really eager to tell your stories around the holiday season. But you have to 
serve people all year round. So what's what's the holiday giving and the holiday generosity, the spirit of the holiday mean for you to be able to provide for people in March or April? Emily? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, right? We, we do this all year long. Um, and we know that December is uh, every year our highest year for giving. I'm really grateful for that. And what we uh, really appreciate about this community is its willingness to, to continue supporting even in difficult times. Um, I also want to, if I may, just, just backtrack only a tiny bit, only to say um, that our agency partners with Julio at Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Uh, we serve 30,000 meals and snacks to young children every year, and we would not be able to do that without Julio's dedication to fresh produce in particular because what we understand is that these kids largely come from food insecure homes, and if we're gonna be serving them meals, they need to be high quality because they're growing little people. Not that all people don't deserve high quality meals, but, but when we have an agency like Hoosier Hills in town, what that means is that my agency can run a food program that we're very, very proud of. And um, we do that through partnership with Hoosier Hills, and I know Beacon partners with Julia as well. Yeah, we do need support all year, but I think it's understandable that at, at the holidays, people tend to think about uh, how they can give back. It's also end of year. People give for tax reasons. Um, one of the ways that people can support New Hope right now that is kind of a fun Christmas way um, is that people can sponsor a family for Christmas. Uh, we currently have 18, as of Friday, we had 18 families on our list of folks who needed some support for Christmas. Uh, and so folks are interested in that. They can check out our Facebook page. They can send an email to holidays at newhopeforfamilies.org. But the truth is, you know, any kind of support that people can give, one of the wonderful things about giving to local agencies is that your money does stay local, right? And so what you know is that you are literally helping your neighbor through a hard time. And that's something we're really proud to do. Uh, I say all the time that an agency like New Hope couldn't exist just anywhere. We exist here because we reflect the values of this community. And this community doesn't want any family to have to sleep outside, to live in a car, or to separate from their loved ones in order to receive vital services. And that's what Bloomington is. And so uh, we're very, very happy to receive uh, support at this time of year. Uh, can I just ask, do all of you have, you know, giving programs that are like a, you know, a monthly mm -hmm. recurring donation? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like the sustaining givers of WFIU yes. you know, that we hear about several times a year. Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay. So p if people want to look into that so that they can spread out their gift, uh, maybe in, you know, it's, it's an easy way to increase your gift because you're adding a few dollars a month rather than writing one check. So you all have that. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. definitely. Good. Yeah. So the question about the the holiday season, how important that is to you compared to and not compared to, but along with the rest of the year. Yeah, I would uh, uh, just echo to some degree what Emily said, which is um, this is in many ways the, the most important time of the year for um, for our organizations in terms of support, financial support to keep us going year round. And uh, so it's so essential at this time because this is often uh, the determiner of, of what we'll be able to do into 2023, um, that it helps us know where we are and what we can do into the future and how many people we can support. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's um, a, a kind of uh, special energy around this time when home really becomes uh, extra special and extra important. We obviously have the phrase home for the holidays and and I think that um, comes and hits us especially uh, strongly this time of year when our hearts open a little bit more maybe than, than year round and uh, as we enter into a season that celebrates love and um, and we try to embody that with our own generosity and caring and so so this, uh, you know, that so so you, we work year round. It's constant year round trying to get people home. But I think there's a special emphasis right now to to get people home for the holidays. Julia, yeah, I would uh, I would completely agree with what uh, both Emily and, and Forrest have said, and, and particularly before I forget to to 
say thank you to this generous community that we live in. Um, we, we are incredibly fortunate to be here in Bloomington and Monroe County. Um, we might not be able to sustain some of the things that we, we do in, in a different community because this is a very generous and caring um, community and, and that's what helps get us through. But this time of year um, in, in particular, uh, we do count on seeing a lot of generosity and sort of building that up to take us through into, uh, into next year. Um, we won't be quite the focus when it comes mid-January. Um, and um, we won't. We definitely won't see the same level of support that we see during the uh, the holidays. Whether it's because people are looking for a tax write-off, or because they um, are feeling more uh, more generous, or they're celebrating Thanksgiving by giving back because they appreciate what uh, what what they have. Um, we need that support now, and we count on it. Uh, in our case, both financially and with food donations, to carry through. Uh, into the first at least several months of, of the next year. And it's mm -hmm. it's the big indicator. It all it all always comes down to how well are we going to do in November and December, and, and that's going to dictate um, what we might be able to do in January, February, and March of next year. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. I don't know if I've ever asked this question in all my years of doing this, but I, I also think – I guess I want to get some feedback from each of you about the – population that you serve. I mean, the holiday mm -hmm. season is a really difficult time for a lot of people. And, you know, Forrest talked about everyone wants to get home for the holidays. But you know, what's the importance for you and your agencies to try to help the people that you're serving through this sort of emotional time? Emily? Yeah. The holidays are, you know, one of the things that, that we're committed to at New Hope, and I know these guys are committed to as well, is is helping the people that we serve preserve their dignity um, while they receive the services that they need. And the holidays are one of those times where that can be particularly hard um, because people have ideas about what they want for their families at Christmas or, or whatever winter holidays they celebrate. And uh, being able partnering again with the food bank. Um, we had, for example, uh, last week, uh, Thanksgiving cooking demonstrations where people could submit their, their families' Thanksgiving recipes, and then they would have a chance to teach other people how to do it. At the same time, our chef and nutritional coordinator taught everybody how to make a turkey, right? Um, and a couple of other things that we know are very popular at Thanksgiving, but also a chance for other people to say, actually, my family does chicken gizzards at Christmas. This is one of the things this year. And that was a new one for me. Um, and so she taught us how to do chicken gizzards. Um, but a chance for people to say what's important to them. And then the other thing that's really important to us, I think for families with children, preserving Christmas for their kids is something that is very, very important for many of our families. Mm -hmm. And so helping them be able to do that. So when we ask families, we ask folks to sponsor families for the holidays, what that means is uh, you agree to buy the gift that the parent would like to give this child. Mm -hmm. And then the parent gets to wrap it and they get to give it to the kid. And it can be from them or it can be from Santa or it can be from Chris Crindle or whatever it is that your family does, um, they have the opportunity to preserve that tradition for themselves and to celebrate in their own way, rather than saying, okay, this is our Thanksgiving dinner and everybody come or don't come. Uh, I think we were offered many turkeys and the 12 families, some of them are cooking together and some of them are separating up, but I think seven turkeys were claimed among the 12 families to be cooked in various configurations. Okay. <laughs> For us, that you know, Emily talked about you know treating people with dignity, and I know that's something that you try to do all the time with mm -hmm. the people that you work with. How's that affected during the holiday season? I hope it's not, in okay. the sense that it's something that you know that we embody all all year round. We, um, I mean, I, I you know I start to think about the, the times of year about um, about the people that we are helping get back home. So that's where my mind tends to focus and think about. We just had, just just a few days ago, um, helped someone who had been homeless for over five years, has all kinds of health conditions and just struggles. So 
uh, mightily and um, with um, with heart issues, and he has his dog Ozzy, and the, the two of them we helped um, move into a home, um, a permanent home, um, for them again after five years of being outside, and and that's, I mean that uh, that's the season right right there is this this person who uh, was living outside um, is now now has a has a couch and a uh, uh, and a place he can take a shower or a bath, uh, a kitchen where he can cook, and um, and a place where he can serve his dog. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 holiday holiday treats maybe, <laughs> but um, that's that's it. I mean, last you know every year we we help house uh, or prevent from homelessness of over six hundred people. Um, six I think it was six eighty six seventy six last year and. Uh, and just every one of those people is 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 a name and a story and adults adults and children um, and um, and the holidays I think are, bring that back. It's the it's numbers are important, but it's also these are these are real people, real lives, real stories, and we're getting them back home. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you know what success looks for looks like for all of you and for us. That was a really good way to segue into that. I'd say that looks like success. Julio, what what what's success look like when you you know when you go home at night and say that was a successful day or at the end of the year you're evaluating and say well that was a really successful year or wow that was a tough year. So you know I'm debating in my head or those guys on my shoulder do I give the the, the answer that I really believe <laughs> or do I give the answer that the uh, the grants and the foundations and the whatnot you know really want me to to, to give. Um, and I, I'm going to go with the real thing because it's you know it's the holiday season. I would expect that. Um, it, 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 you know, for me, I, I don't get to have a lot of direct contact with the people that are benefiting from from what we're we're trying to do. Um, the one exception to that are these Fresh Friday distributions in the summer at the food bank because I'm out there checking in each car, asking them how many people are, are in their families, and seeing the looks on their face and hearing them say thank you. And um, at the end of one of those four or five hour sessions, um, we're exhausted, we're sunburnt, um, we're, we're you know ready to just collapse. And um, we have served 800 families, um, and, and every one of them has come through and said thank you. And it, it it's just clear um, that they were very appreciative of the food that we were able to provide for them, and that it made a difference uh, in their lives. Um, that's that's a success to me, definitely. Um, on the other uh, hand, the the biggest success for me was were those surveys we got back from agencies um, mm. during COVID. When um, when we reached the point where a hundred percent of our agency, I didn't think we'd ever get there. Um, and the ironic and ridiculous thing is that it took a global pandemic for us to get there. But when we reached the point where a hundred percent of our agencies came back and said, "Yeah, we're we're getting enough food. We're getting what we need." That was was uh, was incredible, and unfortunately, I can't say that anymore. So it's it's not as successful. All right, Emily. Same question to you. Yeah, you know, um, sheltering and homelessness are are things that <sighs> our community has strong feelings about, uh, and you hear about it a lot. Um, and I think. One of the things that's difficult is to really be focused on success and what that looks like because it can be really tempting to say what we need is more shelter. Um, what we need are more more shelter beds for people. And shelter is important, don't get me wrong, it's, it's very, very important. Um, but success isn't how many people we shelter, right? Success is not filling up shelter beds. Success is emptying shelter beds. Success is how many people we house um, and house in a way that we think is going to be lasting. Um, because what we know is if we're able to get people on that track, most people, most people will never be homeless again if we're able to help them right the first time. Uh, and so that's what I think. For, for New Hope, success is a lease in your name that you can afford mm -hmm. um, with the people that you have chosen to be your family. Uh, and I think that's that's really important. And then, you know, just like Julia said, being able to see those families years later. I had a mom in my office on Friday. We had a, 
uh, a fundraiser uh, with decorated Christmas mm-hmm. trees, and some of those trees get donated back. And one of the people who took one of those trees this year is a mom who actually moved out, gosh, three years ago. Um, and she's been in school since then, and she came into my office, gosh, I'm going to cry. She came into my office to tell me that uh, she wanted to know, could she have a little bit of help with Christmas this year? But this is her last year to ask because she just got uh, a full-time job, and she'll be graduating in December um, as a certified medical assistant. Um, so she's in training now, but she just just had come from her first training shift, and just seeing her uh, light up, and she was so excited, uh, and recognizing that that does take a long time. That's not something that people move out of shelter and the next day they're there, right? This is about three and a half years later, and uh, watching her tell me about that, um, it made me feel so grateful that I got this tremendous privilege to do this work every day. Mm-hmm. Like Julie, I don't see our clients every day, but um, gosh, it it really made me remember this is what we're about. We only have about five minutes to go. I have a couple of other things I wanted to touch on. One is Giving Tuesday, which is, is that something that's important to you and how can people participate in that? It, um, honestly, it's not something we have emphasized as much as we probably should, um, to be honest. Um, but it, it is important. It's it's a way for people to remember, you know, in between the, these holidays that um, there are others out there, there are organizations out there doing good work. And, um, you know, it, it's we've uh, I'm still an old fashioned write a check and put it in an envelope uh, and put a stamp on it kind of guy. Um, but we've really moved beyond that in, in, in fundraising um, and, in, and in development. And, you know, many people use that uh, electronic mechanism to give. And we certainly need that uh, that kind of support. I think everyone does. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're. Uh being listened to on Black Friday, and then there's mm-hmm. also going to be Small Business Saturday, and there's mm-hmm. going to be Cyber, Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. Right? <laughs> so, so Giving Tuesday, I want to give it, you know, equal. Why did we equal, get all the way to Tuesday? Play. What happened yeah. with the <laughs> right. people? Whatever they have left. I guess. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had somebody uh, years ago, uh, a mentor, tell me. Uh, give what's right, not what's left, and I, I, that's always inspired me in my own my own giving. So maybe remember, that's a good thing for us all to remember is Giving Tuesday is is maybe later in the days, but make sure that we give what's right instead of what's left. Mm-hmm. We, well, oh, go ahead. Just like uh, uh, Julia, we, there's definitely Giving Tuesday is, is, is important to us. And if uh, people are wanting to, to donate on that day, um, we generally will have a Facebook social media campaign. That's usually how we, we get the, the news out that, that day and spread it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's nice about social media and Facebook in particular is they, um, they donate all the fees. And so, um, mm. so uh, people can donate without any worry about paying any credit card fees or anything like that. Good. Anything you want to add? Emily? No, I think okay. uh, we're, we're a little more like Hoosier Hills. We haven't tended to emphasize. Okay. Uh, we have a big fundraiser the week before Thanksgiving, and people can expect a letter sometime in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, but certainly we'll be on Facebook on Giving Tuesday and very happy to receive people's gifts. All right. So we have three minutes to go. So one more minute each. And I want to just ask one or two things, either, you know, the, the wish list concept. Is there something that you hope that you can get this holiday season? Or two, are there ways that people can help? your organization that they might not think about. You know, I think a lot of what we were maybe focusing on today was getting dollars in or getting Mm -hmm. food in or whatnot. Are there other ways that people can help you? Well, I'll offer one because it's a direction. We just had our 40th anniversary, and we're kind of looking at things and where we're going from here and what have we done for 40 years, what what are we going to do going forward? And one of our goals is more advocacy. what people can do is, is pay attention to the issues that um, that affect all of us and that cause people to remain in poverty or to fall into poverty and to do something about that, to, to speak out, to write letters to the editor, to contact their, their legislators, to vote. Um, those are the only ways we're going to make long-term lasting change. Uh, we've got to have policy changes in, in order to 
help people move out of poverty permanently. Okay. Mm -hmm. Emily? Yeah, I can't do better than that. I think Julia's got a great idea there. <laughs> I'll also say if you're interested in a volunteer opportunity, we've just uh, had a tremendous expansion at New Hope. Uh, so we've just expanded our family sheltering capacity by 70% and our early learning capacity by 200%. Um, and we are uh, in the market for some new volunteers to help us sustain those services. So what reach would, out. What do they do? Volunteers? Yeah. Well, people, we have a few needs. Uh, one very high need right now is to people for people to screen calls for shelter. Mm -hmm. So to help triage those calls mm -hmm. and help those people get connected. One of the things we know is that not everyone who calls us has uh, is the is the right fit for our services, but we want to have a warm handoff with the place they need to be. So okay. that's something we're really looking for in volunteers and early learning classrooms. Okay, Boris, you have one minute. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, just to echo volunteers, we actually have about fourteen hundred volunteers a year, which um, mean just tells you how much of our organization is volunteer driven. So we we definitely need that kind of support on a day to day basis to work directly with our clients in our kitchen or or in our uh, hospitality or in our overnight shelter. So we really welcome that and encourage that. Um, but also, uh, just it's getting cold. It's yeah. cold, yeah. you know, and so so uh, this is the time for uh, warm socks for. Um, coats for for um, for hats, not so much scarves because we have a lot of those, but gloves and hats are really big, and and uh, thermal underwear, all those things are really important. All right, I'm gonna have to cut you off there. Thank you to all of you, Julio Alonzo from Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Forrest Gilmore from Beacon, and Emily Pike from New Hope for Families. I'm Bob Zaltzberg saying thank you for our producer Nathan Moore and engineer Mike Pashkash. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.